You can be more ready to hear the message of God in the sermon that Pastor John brings if you will open a Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the first 11 verses is the text of the morning. I hope you brought your own Bible. If you didn't, take one like this from the uh, pew rack nearby and turn to page 999. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were heathen, you were led astray to dumb idols, however you may have been moved. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of working, but it is the same God who inspires them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are inspired by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray together once more before the message. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I pray that you would manifest yourself in this hour, Holy Spirit. I pray personally for a special anointing in the gift of teaching and preaching. I pray that people all around would receive special guidance in how to pray as I preach. I pray that the Holy Spirit would manifest himself, Father, in the conviction of sin and in the hope of glory and in the refreshment of faith. I pray that special needs emotionally would be touched. I pray that bodies would be relieved of pain or infection. I pray, Lord, that you would just stir in this room that this would not be a mechanical thing. I pray that it would not be a mere information-sharing time, God forbid, but rather a meeting with you, a hearing you, a dealing with you. So I invite you to come and work through me and through your people in this next 20 minutes or so. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let me begin by summarizing some of the reasons why I think verse 9, gifts of healings, and verse 10, workings of miracles are still available to the church today and ought to be practiced. 
Now, you might think on a simple reading of this text, well, that's, that's obvious. I mean, it just says they're given to the church variously, and there it is in the Bible. But there are so many people, this whole stack of books over here, remember, last week, who don't think that gifts of healings and gifts of miracles are for the church today. So I want to read the argument of one of these teachers, a very popular radio teacher, and respond to it because I think that's the only way to defend what seems obvious when it's being opposed. The four temporary sign gifts, he says, that's his terms, not the Bible's, the four temporary sign gifts were miracles, healings, tongues, interpretation of tongues. These four sign gifts had a unique purpose, to give the apostles credentials, to let the people know that these men all spoke the truth of God. But once the word of God was inscripturated, that means written down in the scriptures, the sign gifts were no longer needed and they ceased. So you see that the assumption of the argument is that the gifts of healings in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of miracles or workings of miracles mentioned in verse 10, were only what Jesus and the apostles experienced. They aren't gifts given to the church at Corinth or to our church or any other church. They are gifts possessed by the apostles and Jesus and their close associates. So let me read you that particular quotation from this writer. Quote, We never see the gift of healing used at a random in the churches in the New Testament. It is a gift always associated with Christ, the twelve plus Paul, the seventy and their close associates. The gift of healing was a limited one in terms of people who possessed it, as was the gift of miracles. And like miracles, the gift of healing was used to authenticate and confirm the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. So I think you can see the simplicity of the argument. It has three steps. They're pretty straightforward. Step number one in the argument is, and this is the linchpin, you equate gifts of healings in 1 Corinthians 12.9 with what the apostles and Jesus did. Their unique authority to work miracles. You equate those two. Step number two in the argument is you point out that the role of the apostles and Jesus was unique and unrepeatable so that when they're gone, this gift is gone. And third, then, you draw the conclusion it has ceased and is no longer available for the church today. It's a very simple, straightforward argument. Now, the reason I don't believe it is because the first premise is untrue in my judgment. And I commend several considerations to you. The first premise, you remember, was the equation of gifts of healing in 1 Corinthians 12.9 with the unique miracle-working power of the apostles. If you read this text, verses 7 to 10, do you get the impression that some of these gifts are unique for the apostles and others for the church. Let me just read it with you and see what you think. Start at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the workings of miracles. Does that sound as though some of those are given in general to various people in the church, but two of them are are reserved for just Jesus and the apostles? Is that the way you'd read that if you were reading that ordinarily? It's not the way I would read it. It sounds strained and unnatural to me to take the verses in that way. That nobody at Corinth gets those gifts, only the apostles and Jesus. And then you look down at verse 28, and it looks as though it's even more explicit that Paul does not want to equate the apostleship with gifts of healings or restrict them to the apostleship. It says in verse 28, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings. So it looks as though you've got one, two, three prophets, teachers, or uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, and then the scattering of, of miracles and healings in general. And they're not the same. They're not limited to one another. They're distinct. Another argument in favor of their being distinct and not limited to each other is Galatians 3.5, which we looked at last week, so I'll just mention it here in passing. Galatians 3.5 says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So God is, apart from the apostles, supplying the Spirit in the church at Galatia, the churches of Galatia, and by that supply, he's working miracles among them. There aren't any apostles there. Paul's writing his letter to them. And so I simply am not persuaded by the first premise in the argument, namely that gifts of healings and gifts or workings of miracles are identical to and limited to what the apostles and Jesus did. However, I do stand by what I said last week, namely that this uh, pile of books is right to insist on the uniqueness of Jesus and the apostles in their teaching. The apostles were the once-for-all authoritative, revelatory spokesman of Jesus Christ, and what they wrote is preserved for us in the New Testament of this book in an infallible, authoritative way that becomes the once-for-all foundation on which we stand as a church. And that Bible becomes the measuring line, the plumb line, the measuring rod of all doctrine and all practice. Once for all, delivered to the saints, is this truth. That much I stand by. But the question now this morning is this. Do we need to keep the gifts of healings and miracles away from ordinary Christians in order to preserve the uniqueness of the apostles and Jesus? In order to preserve the uniqueness of their use of healing? And my answer is no. We don't. And the reason is very simple. Signs and wonders or healings and miracles in the hands of the apostles were only part of their means of authenticating themselves. Not the whole thing. You see what trouble we'd get in if we said that the 
miracles that they did were the only or the decisive way that they vindicated their authority? The trouble we'd be in is this. Jesus and Paul both said that false prophets would do signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. If the only thing the apostles did to vindicate their truth was signs and wonders, we've got no authentication. We've got no authorization because the devil can do that. Matthew 24, 24, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. And when I read 1 and 2 Corinthians yesterday, looking to see how Paul in a full-orbed way vindicated his authority and his apostleship, I found 12 other means by which he defended his apostleship. And I noticed that the doing of miracles was mentioned one time in a very minor way. Now, all 12 of these are right here in my notes and they'll be available in the, in the file cabinet next week. But let me read you two of them from 1 Corinthians 9, 1 and 2. If you want to flip back three chapters and look at these with me, these are tremendously important verses to show you how Paul regularly defended his apostleship. 1 Corinthians 9, 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Now, there's argument number one. I'm an eyewitness to Jesus. That's why the Damascus Road experience for this Johnny-come-lately apostle was absolutely essential. He saw the risen Christ. You can't be an apostle if you haven't seen the risen Christ. Second, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal. You could stick in the word sign there, I think. You are the sign. You are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. What does that mean? That means I came to you bringing the message of the gospel as an authoritative spokesman to Jesus and the Holy Spirit blessed my ministry and a church has been created and you're all bound for heaven and you've been transformed by power. That's my vindication. I saw the Lord. I have been the means of the Spirit's blessing in your sanctification and conversion. Now, there are ten other arguments in these two letters that I have noted down here. And the point is this. Doing miracles and healing people was one among many of the ways that the apostles used to authorize themselves as authoritative authoritative spokesmen of Jesus. They're not limited to that. And therefore, we do not need to keep for them the gifts of healings or the workings of miracles and not let those be shared with anybody else in the church with the thought that if others share them, the apostles have nothing more to appeal to for their vindication. That's not true. And it's real plain once you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, looking for how Paul argued for his apostleship. And so my conclusion is, the gifts of healings and the workings of miracles were there for the Corinthians as the Holy Spirit willed to distribute them. They were there for the Galatian churches as the Holy Spirit willed to uh, distribute them. And they are there for Bethlehem as the Holy Spirit wills to distribute them. And if that's true, then I must 
close with three crucial observations. Number one, gifts of healings and workings of miracles are not for self-exaltation, but for the benefit of others. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 2. First, just a chapter later, it says, Though I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. We are worse off to have a gift when we don't have love than if we didn't have the gift. Worse off, because we'll do a lot of damage and we'll become very proud. So I want to make very clear at the outset here, the temptation to want to have signs and wonders, the temptation to want to have gifts of healing or gifts of miracles because they sound neat, because they sound like they might make goosebumps go up and down your back, because they might make you real as a Christian, is a deadly desire. The desire that ought to fill our hearts is the desire of love. We ought to want to bless people. We ought to want to see people converted more than we want anything. We ought to want to see them delivered from emotional bondage. We ought to want to see them healed from their sicknesses. And when that desire fills our heart and we are brokenhearted with compassion, then we might be in a place to get a gift. If I could say, poof, go out, lights and all those candles would just go out. And I couldn't find a way to make that an act of love in your life so that you'd be a better person and give more glory to God. That'd be a terribly dangerous gift for me to have. And I wouldn't want anything to do with it. It is not for self-exaltation or proud pride. I got a letter, I mean a phone call from Eric Clausen yesterday, uh, whose wife, Brenda, was run over by the speedboat. And he told me, as some of you have heard, that on Wednesday, when they did the second surgery, she still got both her legs, by the way, when they did the second surgery, the, the surgeon came out and said, I am astonished at the development of her legs and how little dead flesh I had to remove today. And, and Eric was just tickled. He was astonished, he said. And he ought to be. Now... If the effect of that was to make us who prayed earnestly on Sunday night say, hey, we're doing it. We're doing it. Then we'd be in big trouble. See? You know what we ought to feel is Brenda. 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 Brenda's getting better. Brenda's going to walk. Eric is strong. Praise God. Bless Brenda. We love Brenda. 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 You see the focus? If we as a church could experience the miracle of caring that people were lost, caring that people were in bondage, caring that people were sick, that miracle would be so great that the little miracle of being able to pray that somebody be healed would just sort of be like a caboose on this massive work of God in our lives. At least that's the way I feel. I feel like the greatest need in my life is not so much to get the gift of healing, but to care that people are sick. And I suspect I'm not alone. Second observation I want to make is that if you are ever granted a gift to heal, it does not mean that the next time you pray for somebody, they will get well. Now, 
Let me show you that from the text and, and from Paul's life first. I think right here in verse 9 that the reason you have two plurals, and the only version I know of that gets this right is the New American Standard Bible. So those of you who have the New American Standard will have to just stick up for me here. The literal translation is gifts of healings. Two plurals. Gifts of healings. Not gift of healing, not gifts of healing, but gifts of healings. Now why? Why does he talk in those double plurals like that? And my suggestion is, and then we'll see this vindicated, I think, in Paul, that there are lots of different kinds of gifts for lots of different kinds of healings, for lots of different kinds of people, for lots of different kinds of circumstances, and we ought not to put these in boxes and treat them mechanically. It just means that the Holy Spirit is free to breathe over this congregation anytime he pleases for any particular sickness or bondage or conversion he wants and grant you at that time to be the means of his miracle. That can happen. It doesn't mean that if you've done it ten times for somebody, the next time you pray, it's going to happen automatically. Now, let me just show you that from the Apostle Paul's life. The cripple at Lystra... He said he saw that he had faith to heal. He said, get up. And he got up. Many people at Ephesus brought their handkerchiefs to Paul. He touched them. They took him home and people got well. Eutychus fell out of the window. Boom. They took him up dead, the text says. Paul hugged him. He lived. And I think there's one other. Oh, yes. The demonized girl in Philippi. He just said, get out of her life. And the devil was gone and she was normal. After that, four times, that's it, four times recorded in the New Testament that Paul was engaged in successful healing. We got five times where he was engaged in unsuccessful healing. Number one, he couldn't heal himself of the thorn of the flesh. He prayed three times, Lord, heal me, Lord, heal me, Lord, heal me. And the Lord said, no, every time my grace is sufficient for you. Second, he had a terrible ailment that made him look horrible, according to Galatians 4, when he came to preach there, because he said, you tolerated me, though I was an offense to you. Maybe it was some big, ugly, pussy sores on his face or something, or eyes that ran all the time, or maybe he was stooped over. I don't know what it was. It was just horrible, and he thanked them for not rejecting him because he looked so awful, and he couldn't do anything about it, evidently, at least not for a while, Galatians 4:13 and 14. Third, Epaphroditus was sick a long time in Philippians 2, and Paul couldn't do anything about that. And Trophimus, it says, he left ill. He left ill at Miletus in 2 Timothy 4.20. And uh, Timothy, this poor guy had so many stomach problems. And Paul says, take a little wine for your stomach. And he couldn't do anything about it. You got more evidences of the inability to heal in Paul than you got evidences to heal. Now, does that mean Paul didn't have gifts of healings? No, that's exactly what he had. Periodically, God moved and he was able to heal a particular disease. At other times, God did not give a gift of healing to Paul. And he couldn't do it. And that means that we just shouldn't get all worked up and excited about, well, now, has this person got the gift of healing? Has this person got the gift of miracles? That's just not the way the New Testament talks about it. The question is, and here I'll just move to my third point and close, Ought we to seek, as the Holy Spirit in His sovereignty wills, to be the beneficiary of that gift for somebody who's hurting 
from time to time? And my answer is, this is my third point, yes, we should seek that. And there are two reasons. Number one is love. Once we begin to love as a congregation, once the miracle of compassion comes upon us, and when we hear that somebody's hurting and we hurt, and the miracle of empathy hurts, when one member suffers, they all suffer, when that miracle happens in this church, then I believe there will rise up a very natural and appropriate desire, oh God, use me to bless as much blessing as can be given. Use me. And we'll go and we'll touch and we'll pray. And God in his sovereign will may grant a gift of healing. And my second reason for saying you should seek it in that way is because 1 Corinthians 14.1 says so. 1 Corinthians 14.1 gets the priorities just right. We don't want to inflate healing too much. It's no big deal as far as Paul is concerned. He's got much bigger deals to deal with than healing. But he's got a deal here. It is a deal if it isn't a big deal. 1 Corinthians 14.1, make love your aim. That's the big deal. I think everybody, I see a lot of heads nod when I say that. You know these three chapters. The big deal is chapter 13. That is Christianity. Love. And you don't need to do miracles to love. It is a miracle to love. But once it says that, Make love your aim or pursue love. The next thing it says is earnestly desire or be zealous for spiritual gifts. And we should just stop there lest we jump ahead to prophecy and focus all our attention on that. I'll get to prophecy eventually. Let's just stop with the general statement, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Of course, we should want the greatest ones, the one that do the most, most edification. That's why prophecy is such a big deal. It edifies people. But... I've got a little sign on my cabinet at home that says, if I can get it right, the forest would be a very silent place if the only birds that sang were the birds that sang best. It's a strange kind of argument that says, since you're to especially seek the greater gifts, you shouldn't seek the lesser ones. That's a funny argument. It's not a good one. It's a bad one. And so all I want to say in closing is, let's make love our aim. Let's ask for the great miracle of being a compassionate and loving people so that we care more about hurting people, lost people, uh, addicted people, than we do about watching television or our own leisure plans. And once that miracle comes down on this church, then the little, tiny, insignificant lower-level gift of healing might be given for its appropriate use. Let's pray. Father, I just beg now that in my life the massive miracle of love would, would happen. I want to obey above all things in my life, pursue love, make love your aim. I want to be as loving as I can possibly be. That's the prayer I want these people to pray for me day in and day out. And I simply pray, Lord, that once that spirit blows in our church and we love one another and have compassion for one another and have empathy for one another and care about lost people outside 
and love the way we've been loved by Jesus and love the way we would like to be loved, that then when we are that humbled and that caring, you might come and according to your sovereignty distribute gifts of healings and workings of miracles, not for anybody's glory, but yours and for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.